Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to violence. Welcome to Lost in the Static. Welcome to another episode of Lost in the Static. And if I sound a little less excited, it's just because of what we're going to be talking about, not because of my wonderful co-hosts, such as Sarah Hanley. Yo, I am Sarah Hanley. Kind of wonderful. Yay! (laughs) Okay, quit being weird. And Glenn from the future, who failed to warn us about Trump yet again. Oh, come on, you didn't see that one on the cards. <laughs> you still could have sent a, 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 you know, a casual warning. But <laughs> before we get into the topic tonight, you guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code STATIC, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code STATIC at adamandeve.com. That's if Sarah can quit making noise into her microphone. So tonight, we're just going to do like, you know, the years 2017 is coming to an end, and maybe more literally than figuratively, we'll have to see how the Kim Jong-un thing plays out, but but we're just going to look at, not, not, not politics specifically, although some of that will come up, we're just going to look at what this year was like for us. We'll look at the movies, the music, the comic books, things like that, so... Sarah, how would you sum up 2017 as a whole? Uh... Yeah, that's about it. All right, then, Glenn, you're in a different country, so your mm-hmm. your look at things might be a little different. I hope. Uh, well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a bit of a weird year. I mean, we followed 2016, which seemed to just be a complete shit show of celebrity deaths, and we've gone into 2017, which has been politically tumultuous on domestic and international kind of scale. Everything just seems to have devolved this this past year into a crazy mess. Some of it's amusing. Some of it's terrifying. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, even when it comes to the kind of things like films, even the films seem to have gone into a very maudling, violent, nasty, kind of against expectations kind of mess. So 2017 has been a bit of a strange one. Although I have to say it has flown by. Well, that's because we all want to forget that, at least over here, who our president is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well done on that, guys. <laughs> well, well, I would, I would be a bit more smug about this kind of stuff, but you know, it does have, it has implications across the water as well. So, and Theresa May is not a whole lot better. Oh well, you know, at least she hasn't been found to um, have a propensity for sticking a dick into um, dead pigs' mouths. Well, and so, she hasn't grabbed anybody's vagina, so you know, you have that going for you. Well, she might have grabbed her own. Most Does most women have. <laughs> I, uh, only if she's done it without her own permission, and that gets into a confusing space. Oh, God, she'd have to sign a contract and everything these days, wouldn't she? <laughs> well, speaking of that, this has been the year of everyone you've ever liked in Hollywood turning out to be a crazy sex monster. As we talked about before, like the Harvey Weinstein thing, that's what kicked this all off. But we'd always known about some of these things. These things are... I hate the term, but open secret. 
where everybody mm-hmm. kind of knew about it, nobody wanted to acknowledge it, but my god, the dominoes just keep falling. The week we're recording this, Jeffrey freaking Rush and Matt Lauer just got hit. And you just go, what the, who, I am going to quit the human race if it turns out that someone like Sonny Chiba or Sid Haig turn out to be a creeper. I, I'm just going to be like, no, no, I, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Because everybody I've ever idolized, no. There are certain people I'm kind of surprised haven't yet. Like Bill Maher, not only would it not surprise me, we all know it's only a matter of time. That will make an entertaining episode of his show, wouldn't it? Uh, it, it it might be that he is a creeper, but he asked permission before being a creeper. So Louis, Louis C.K. style. That would style. be exception. So, so you're saying Louis C.K. style? Uh, I don't know. He he seems to also date creepers, so maybe it's an equal opportunity creeperism. But but okay, I, I mean like Jeffrey Rush it just came out this week, and he's like one of those. Shakespearean actors, and you're like, God damn it, Jeffrey Rush too, Matt Lauer, he was one of the most recognizable people in American news. And the Matt Lauer thing, I think is gonna have more far-reaching implications, because that one makes you go, what the fuck? Cause mm-hmm. he had a button under his desk in his office, so he could lock the door from the inside without having to stand up. Now, this is in Rockefeller Center in the NBC News Studios. That means he had to have a contractor come in and install that button, which had to have been approved by the higher-ups at NBC. That means people knew he was being a creeper, because you don't get that button installed unless you're creeping. True. I had to know. Maybe uh, there may be some other reasons for having that, but I can't imagine any of them are legitimate. That's pre-planning. <laughs> well, this, this this is how you do it, you know. It, when when you get your own show and you you have an entire audience that you can disappoint, then you say, "I need that button in case somebody breaks into the office and it looks like they're coming for me." And I press the button, and then I'm safe, and all of my associates are just dead outside. I, I'm just gonna say this straight up: everyone in Hollywood, every guy, no one wants to see your penis. That was the big thing, either wanting to jack off in front of ladies or coming to the door or coming to a meeting wearing no pants. That seems to have been the theme. No one wants to see your penis. Get over it. It's very much a sharing thing, isn't it? It's uh, inappropriate sharing, but it is sharing nonetheless. I, I don't understand that kind of thought process that goes through their head. They go... Yeah, yeah, this isn't a problem. I'll just get my junk out and surprise someone with it. It's I have no idea where they're coming from in that <laughs> in well, that kind of mindset. You have to think of it like like a five year old boy. You're not showing it because they want to see it. You're showing it because you want to show it to them, and you just happen to have enough power that you can do that. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, because you know, be straight. Well, Siri used the right word. That's that's what these tend to be about. You, you'll notice it's not just a, an actor showing his penis to someone on the street or anything. In almost every one of these cases, this is a powerful man who is doing this to someone he has power over. I think this has, obviously sex is part of it. It's less about sex, I think, and more about power. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's pretty much when we talked about it before. That's kind of what I said at the time was a lot of this stuff is about power. It is about the status of those people and them having power and getting what they want, no matter what the, the other people around may object to. But yeah, I mean, it makes makes perfect sense that that's much more what it's about. And they get the happy ending, hopefully, for them. Ha, ha, ha. Well, happy ending. Uh-huh. Ha, ha. Well, and and it does go back to what we talked about a billion years ago, uh, the art versus artist, where there is, in, in many of these cases, very visible connections between how they perform their work and how they act when they're off mic, when they're off camera. Uh, Matt Lauer has been just an absolute jackal to many of the females that he's either covered or to the females that he's interviewed. We can go back to the very confusing interviews that he did with the candidates before the election. And he's not only horrible to women on the set, he was also horrible to the guys because he had enough power to lord it over them. It it's power, it's position, it's I can do this to you, so I will do this to you. I mean, he wasn't having sex with the guys, but he was just being an absolute douchehole to them because he was like, I can. This is awesome. Yeah, it's a sad thing, isn't it, really, that people in that position feel like they are somehow entitled to be like that. You know, I mean, I've met a few people like that along the way who are very willing to throw their toys out the pram if they don't get absolutely everything they want their way when they need it. The thing is, I mean, you do come across the exact opposite as well, but obviously with the exact opposite, you don't get all the shit of them trying to, shall we say, metaphorically hump your leg. Well, Glenn, when you do have to deal with someone like that in the job that you do off mic, if you can, you don't work with them again. If you can get away with it, that's definitely not in the first five numbers that you call when you're like, oh, we need someone to, you know, handle directing. We need someone to handle lighting. Yeah, for some reason, it doesn't matter if they're awesome, if if they're just an unworkable asshole, you are going to try to either not work with them, or if you have to work with them, you're going to keep them far away from you. Hmm. But you can still see their penis from there, though, (laughs) if they whip it out. Well, that depends on uh, lighting and size. (laughs) Well, okay, we didn't just have sex abuse scandals. We also, and the scandals went from... Hollywood all the way over into the news with Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes and all this. It's it's kind of sad to think about it in these terms. doesn't matter whether you're right or left. Everyone you grew up listening to probably did something to somebody against their will. And that really does cloud the issue, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it is, it has history. Let's put it that way. Not just in like things like the film industry, it would have gone right back. I mean, it goes back as far as, as time, really. Right back into the old days of the monarchy and whatever. You know, you've got somebody who's in a position where they can do all that kind of stuff. They're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's all coming out. I say it's all coming out now. It's it's being, shall we say, talked about a lot more now. Strangely, uh, enough, just... strangely enough, though, there is a thing called news fatigue where people are now starting to say that, whoa, this is feeling more and more like a witch hunt. And they're, they're, 
they're ceasing to believe some of these now because, like, oh, I can't believe everybody in Hollywood that I liked is doing this. And you just go, actually, yeah, why can't you believe it? Mm. I say, I mean, it's one of those things, particularly, I think, with things like Hollywood and, you know, to some extent with politics as well. I don't want to put it as an institutional thing because that would sort of say that it's more of a formal thing, but... There's certainly been a culture, I think, where that stuff has been looked at with, shall we say, less critical eyes than it should have been, probably underplaying it by saying it that way. When you look at Hollywood, right from the the first days of, of Hollywood, there were issues with with how particularly women were treated by just the studios, by the powerful people, the directors, certain actors. I mean, you have one of the more lurid ones with Fatty Arbuckle, for instance, and that kind of stuff. Although that was wrong. But actually, that was an interesting one in in terms of that was actually kind of the reverse of this kind of situation. Do you know the story of it? Oh, oh, I know some yeah, of it, that's, yeah. that's kind of yeah. horrific. And, you know, especially since, yeah, the the way things had actually played out, it's, oh, yeah. Uh, you won't look at bottles the same way for a while. Well, I mean, there was all those rumors and stuff, but it turned out it wasn't actually anything to do with that. He didn't actually touch that particular woman that, that died, mm-hmm. uh, as it turned out. And, and it turned out to be a, a smear campaign by a woman who had a grudge against him. And, you know, that was one of the exceptions to the kind of stories that we're getting these days. But uh, when when these things come out, particularly when it's celebrities, everybody's wanting to talk about it, you know, make a big deal about it. And, you know, of course, in a lot of these these cases particularly that have been exposed these days, they need to talk about them. But there's there's also the flip side. So let, okay. let's let's move from that to pop culture. 2017 was a really bad year for film. Now, Sarah, I know you've only seen a few films this year, and from talking to you on the phone, you didn't really like them too much. But this is the year that gave us Fifty Shades Darker, Transformers The Last Night, Krispy Kreme the movie, aka Power Rangers. Hmm. We we had rings, monster trucks, Smurfs the Lost Village, All Eyes on Me, Snatched, The Mummy, Baywatch. We had Collide, Book of Henry, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, The Bye Bye Man, Boss Baby, Chips. We had The Great Wall, Cars 3, Resident Evil, The Final Chapter, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Ghost in the Shell, The Emoji Movie. Do I need to keep going on? And this is just the bad movies of the year. Yeah, that there was, there was a bunch of them. I, the, the best thing that I heard about Baywatch was, if you're not familiar with the source material, you'll like it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Because okay, I, I, wanna, yeah. I, I do want to talk to Sarah first. Because Sarah, you only saw I know Spider-Man: Homecoming. How other, how many other 2017 movies did you see this year? Because you're not a movie person like Glenn and I are. Yeah, I I saw that. I saw Thor. I saw Hostiles, which I don't think is out yet, so that I don't know if that counts. You called me up after you saw Spider-Man. You really didn't like that. Oh, it it was, it's what I hate. It's when I hate Marvel movies because the characters are there and they will generally be in character, but as soon as the script needs it, they will be dumb as a sack of bricks 
And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're supposed to be doing. It doesn't matter if you have a doctorate or if you're supposed to be clever. No, you're going to just go into the car and be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. It, oh, I, I so, I so wanted, it. I, I just wanted scenes with Michael Keaton at, at a certain point because I was like, well, they haven't, oh, wait, no, they've done it to him too. I feel so bad for you. Why are you in this movie? You're the, the only bright spot. And, and still that, that they're making you say lines that make it sound like you, you've been, uh, electrocuted. Glenn, <laughs> I know you've seen that he, he one. Like so, do you agree with Sarah? No, I en- to me, I enjoyed Homecoming as being one of the best Spider-Man movies. That doesn't make it a great movie. I, I enjoyed it. Probably enjoyed it more than any of the other Spider-Man movies. That, like I say, well, like you say, is it, it's not necessarily a massive endorsement in terms of what fans of Spider-Man would want it to be. But, I mean, I, I, I didn't find it to be a bad film. I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, there's, there's certainly been some really atrocious films which have come out over over this year. I mean, including some that I've just absolutely flat out just not gone to because I, I have no expectation of them being good. And that includes the the, the previous DC film. The only... I, on the other hand, I actually did see one DC film that I thought was half decent, which was Wonder Woman. Yeah. The first, well, to be on, to be fair, I mean, it's the first time that during this extended universe thing that I've actually seen a superhero character that I didn't want to see killed because most of them are just have just been absolutely horrific. The story of what the Wonder Woman thing was was not terribly good it's it's supposed to be a setup movie but even with that it was a little bit kind of half-assed but um i didn't walk out the cinema wanted to never see wonder woman again as opposed to batman versus superman where i, I walked out of there and it was like no and justice league i've, I've just not gone anywhere near because to be honest i've been disappointed so many times with dc <laughs> that the idea of spending two hours in a cinema watching something that I am just going to be wanting to throw my popcorn at the screen for was not really the the best use of my time, (laughs) in my opinion. Well, do you think 2017 is worse than previous years? Because, I don't know, I've gone to the movies more, because my girlfriend and I go to the movies Mm -hmm. all, all, all the time now. Whether we want to see something or not, we'll just find something. So I've seen a lot of garbage this year in the theater, way more than I have previous years. So maybe it just seems like I'm seeing worse films. Does that make sense? No, I know where you're coming from, but I mean, I would have to say that this year has been, it's gone both ways. There's been some really good stuff. In fact, I think if you look at the, the array of films that have come out, there's been, it's probably been a better year than 2016. In a lot of respects, um, I mean, we've had films like Get Out and Dunkirk and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, um, I know you, yeah, we, you don't like it, but I liked it. Um, um, and you're I, I enjoyed... wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was am, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> what were what, what, your Cecil enjoyed... now? <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. The, the Lego Batman film was good. Logan was was an interesting film. 
we did get the other end of the stick with Alien Covenant and the, mm. the Kingsman film. John Wick 2 was middling. It was more of the same, but it was, you know, if you like John Wick, you probably like that one. So I <laughs> kind of... Uh, it has gone both ways. And, of course, now we've got the Disaster art- Artist now, which I've got to go see. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. See, I, to me, I loved, like, Kong Skull Island. I hated Logan. Mm-hmm. I was – nobody went to see this movie, but Happy Death Day shocked me. I had no interest in this movie. None. Not at all. The trailer mm-hmm. was awful. I thought the whole, oh, look, it's Groundhog's Day, but as a slasher movie, ha, ha, ha. The film was fantastic. My girlfriend and I just went because there was nothing else we wanted to see, and we were like, eh, it's $5 Tuesdays, let's go see a movie. We both went, eh, what the hell, and came out of it going, that was really good. But then it also begs the question, I every single review I read started with, I didn't want to go see this movie. When your trailers and your promotions are so bad that no one wanted to go see your movie that was really good, you failed as as a marketing department, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think part of the reason that they failed was they changed the name of the movie to Happy Death Day. Uh, a couple friends of mine saw it back at a screening when it was under its former title, and there was just the dumber people in the audience who didn't get it. And so, What was the former it, title? Ah, blast if I can remember it, which is not the former title, but that would be an interesting title for a movie. You know, and unfortunately, it, you have to balance, am I going to make this title work for the movie, or am I going to make this a title that I think is going to get people into seats? Uh, it's not just mm. the title, though. Part of it is, like, the trailer. The trailer in the movie, you need to understand this, the character, the one who keeps repeating the day out every time she gets killed, starts off the movie as a horrible person. The first half hour, you're looking forward to her dying. The whole point of the movie is, with each of these deaths, she learns things about herself and becomes a better person. The person in the second hour of the movie, you want to see live. Yet the trailer is almost all the stuff from the first half hour of the movie. They literally made it look like, oh my god, this is another one of these protagonists. I'm going to be begging to die, aren't I? I don't know if that was a wise way to market the movie. I, I thought it was an absolute turn off that trailer. I exactly deliberately and consciously made the decision not to go see it on the strength of that trailer. And, and, and no everybody had that reaction, Glenn. That was the point. That, that's the mm. point I'm trying to make. Everyone had that reaction. Those trailers were terrible. The movie is going to go into my top five of the year. It was a fantastic film. Mm. Well, so, I shall have to catch it then. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's going to go in that list of films that get a wider audience after the fact. You know, just like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, which... Funny enough, you know that it was originally supposed to be called The Real World. Uh, <laughs> but then you, you have other, like, I'm divided with a lot of people. For instance, I really did not like Baby Driver. And everybody was telling me this is one of the best films of the year. And I'm like, I don't know if you saw a different movie than I did. Jamie Foxx is so irritating in this movie that 
nobody. I mean, let's leave Kevin Spacey's uh, diddling out of it. Kevin Spacey's character is this chief mastermind of all of these robberies, and he knows all these crews. After the first time Jamie Foxx starts acting crazy, he would have been gotten rid of and they would have killed him like they did with Flea earlier into the in, in the movie. Or, no, it wasn't Flea, it was the other guy. And, and you just... John Hamm turns into a slasher movie villain in the final act. Nothing in this movie grabbed me, and I'm just wondering, what was it about Baby Driver that audiences saw that I didn't? I have no idea. I mean, I, I that was another one that I kind of saw the trailer for, and I just took an instant dislike to the lead character. And I can be a bit like that. It's a little bit sort of prejudicial to the to to what I do, you know, with reviewing films and stuff like that. But I I, I just didn't like the smugness and that that kind of feel to to the film. But then again, you know, I mean, Edgar Wright directed it, wasn't it? Yeah. I've always struggled with his with his films that he hasn't done with Simon Pegg for some reason. A lot of people really really love his stuff. I think when he's on his own, I, uh, there's something that I just it doesn't click with me. And uh, Scott Pilgrim was very much the same. It was one of those things. I was very excited to go see Scott Pilgrim when that came out, and then I watched it, and I was very disappointed. Scott Pilgrim, I think, hipster, the movie. Oh, I mean, it's just a mess of a movie, but I had that in the back of my head when the trailer for Baby Driver was running, I think. And <laughs> I mean, he's got a very particular style and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't quite ring true for me, so that was another one I, I just avoided. Oh, but, then. Glenn, is it prejudicial when this is how the movie chooses to present itself? That This mm-hmm. is the first impression that it has crafted for itself. So it, it's introducing itself to you. It's going, hello, I am very highly dependent on music because of the movies that have come out that have been highly dependent on music. I'm, I'm going to look like I'm leaning on it kind of Guardian style going to have fast cuts and I'm going to have people snarking back and forth with each other and I promise fast cars and if that's not the thing that you were looking for you can't say that you didn't give the commercial for it a shot because no one's saying the the commercial is going to be exactly the movie unless you are very bad at making commercials for movies then you should stop that because everyone got what they needed Mm -hmm. in two minutes yeah, and it's a funny thing as well, isn't it? I mean, I, I get browbeat on occasions for, you know, kind of like going, I don't want to see this film. It doesn't look very good. Oh, you've got to give it a chance kind of thing. But you've got the opposite end of it as well, haven't you? Because you've got like a trailer for Justice League and stuff like that, which like many of the DC films, the trailers have looked great. Lest we not forget Suicide Squad, for instance. The trailers look amazing, but the films are just shockingly bad, in my opinion. And it's like, yeah, it's getting harder and harder to tell you know, a good film these days from the trailer. And I, I think Baby Driver pretty much didn't do its job as far as I was concerned. I, I and and apparently Happy Death Day as well. So I, I kind of I'm coming away from this with the the, the feeling I shouldn't watch trailers anymore. <laughs> well, uh, you know, look at a movie like It. The trailer didn't grab me, but it didn't turn me off. Now, it, I, I didn't dislike. I thought the kids were all fucking amazing. The, mm, they, yes. they, they, the casting director deserves a fucking Oscar. Because every one of those kids was fantastic. That said, and I didn't like the 1990 miniseries either, and I've never read the book, I just wasn't into the story. 
But I thought the, the kids all gave Oscar-worthy performances. And the fact that they mm-hmm. were all, what, 10 years old maybe? 9, 10 years old were fucking just amazing. Yeah. It does follow the book a lot closer than the TV series did, as far as I can tell. And actually, I, th- I think the one thing with it, the one thing that that kind of I thought was a little bit odd is that they didn't call it It Part One. I thought that was, yeah, it's somewhat deceiving, but because the movie was kind of marketed as if you were already supposed to know this was all the stuff in the, in, well, in the 80s and this, but in the book mm-hmm. it would be the 70s, that you're supposed to know that this is all the stuff in the 80s and that the next movie will be the adult versions. Yeah, I mean, overall, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, there was a few moments with, like, the CGI and that kind of stuff, which... Uh... Oh, there was... When when the psychopath guy fell down the well near the end, that mm-hmm. was... I, I turned to my girlfriend, I'm like... Wow, maybe they should, they should have finished the CG on that scene before releasing the movie, huh? <laughs> that was so fake looking. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I can forgive a film a couple of shaky moments like that. I think too often there's, there's over criticism for that. Yes, they should get it right, but even with practical effects, they didn't always get it right. These things happen in the films. None of that was movie-breaking for me. I think I think a film that, that really did kind of jar me in a way was extraordinarily popular and very well-received film, which was the Thor Ragnarok film. That felt so different it to what had so come before. Off. It. I mean, okay, literally, Google it. It comes up as a comedy Mm. And I think that I, I, was the problem. You didn't go into this movie expecting, you expected, because all the Marvel movies have comedic moments. Fine. Mm. You were not expecting a straight up, there are spit takes and slapstick moments in the fucking film, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, the biggest criticism I would say is, it is pretty much everything that the DC crowd had criticized Marvel films for being much more kid-friendly, much more colorful, much more overtly cartoonish. Oh, it, and, it, it was absolutely following in the success of the two Guardians movies. You tell me hmm. that aesthetically this doesn't fit in with all with the two Guardians movies completely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but that said, I enjoyed the film. Uh, it was typically kind of light-hearted on the story in, in terms of, I mean, kind of light on the story, I should say. I was going to say light-hearted. Uh, they kill thousands of people in it. Well, yes, I mean, he's like, yeah, yeah, but they had a laugh doing it. Um, yes, <laughs> and, yes, because and a Led Zeppelin song was playing. <laughs> what the fuck was that? It was twice he played it in the, in the film. It was like kind of, that was weird. I mean, I know the song's lyrics are supposed to be kind of fitting and stuff, but that is such a distinctive song that it's really the sort of song that you can only get away with in a finale. It should not be, in, it should not have been played the first time around. I mean, that and the fact that the story was, you know, it, it was a typically Marvel throwaway bad guy kind of thing going on. But aside from that, not a bad watch. Not well, a bad. It, 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 it was, it was fun. It was two half stories that they slapped together. I would have liked if maybe both stories didn't have comedic sidekicks to them. <laughs> that is a very Disney thing to do. So there, it was a bit jarring when you went from War World and then you were back to dealing with God family politics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I've heard that it's a better movie 
seeing it the second time. I enjoyed it the first time. I there are some actors in there that I I think that they they really just sink into their roles and they enjoy the hell out of them. I would have liked if if Hella was more intimidating. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they tend to have these boss characters in the Marvel universe. She was oddly just... attractive though. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Yeah, they, they tend to be a little bit throwaway, the bosses in the Marvel Universe, and that's the one thing I would particularly complain about, but yeah. And and, and Glenn, we, we're both going to be very shocked that Josh had a thing for the dark gothy girl. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? What, what, what can I say? <laughs> she, she was oddly attractive in that. Even in her uh, antler hat? No, okay, the antler hat kind of took the attractiveness away. I, I liked it when it was the long black hair. <laughs> but there was one other film that came out this year that seems to be dividing the sci-fi community. Blade Runner 2049, which I hated so much, and most people loved it. I've seen so many people that have listed it as already one of the best movies of the decade. And you go, are you stupid? This movie is made for stupid people. But Josh, can you say that everybody loved it when it made no money? So very few people actually went to see it. How many people are saying that they loved it without going to see the movie at this point? Try to find the negative review of Blade Runner 2049. You'll find <laughs> maybe 10% didn't like it. I'm looking at the box office. Right. I, I, I realize it didn't make Of the people who saw it, Glenn, you, you saw it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where, where do you fall? Am I wrong? Uh, well, Blade Runner 2049 was, well, let me put it in context of, of this. I was never massively wild about the first one. I thought it was an interesting film in some respects, and it certainly has some iconic moments, but I think I, Rarely have the drive to want to go back and watch it again. It's one of those films I was always a little bit kind of cold on. And I think Blade Runner 2049, I felt more or less the same. As a sequel, you've pointed out a whole bunch of the inconsistencies between the two, which I think is a fair enough thing to point out. I thought it was a, a much more entertaining film in a lot of respects. Is it amazing? Mm, I'm, I'm kind of not entirely sure. I, I, I kind of enjoyed watching it, but I was, I ended up watching, looking at my clock basically just to see how much longer I had to sit through the film by the end of it. I, I walked out of there. I wasn't angry. I wasn't particularly kind of fed up with it, but, um, I was not really blown away by it either. Well, Blade, Blade Runner seems to be a film because I've, I've seen the original, of course. It seems to be a film that you think better of it the farther you are away from it. it, it it's a film that inspired a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, yeah, hell, it, it inspired Kojima to make an entire game that's basically a, a combination of Blade Runner and Metal Gear, which is a pretty cool game. I don't think we ever got it over here. But, but yeah, the, the, there are many examples where key scenes or just images or the way that they they went and just just put it all out there Pe people took that and they ran with it and a lot of great things have been made from it hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's fair enough. I've kind of always looked at the the original Blade Runner as being a lot more style over substance. It does have that very small thing about it. You know, there is a certain philosophical edge to the film. But I've never found it to be particularly deep in most respects. I mean, other than Rutger Hauer's final speech, which is, in my opinion, the best moment in that film, the rest of it is meandering, you know, and and not particularly like there's a whole heck of a lot going on. Visually, absolutely stunning. And I think that's one thing Blade Runner 2049 doesn't quite have, is the level of visual style that the original had. But I would say Blade Runner 2049 actually does have, in some respects, a better story. Certainly, there's a lot more interesting stuff going on in that. Whether it all makes sense or not, you know, that's down to whoever. But, yeah, I, I kind of, in my estimation, as an enjoyable film, it's probably about as enjoyable as the other one, more or less. Well, let's move on to television. Now, obviously, I'm going to be talking American television, but, Glenn, you get a lot of the same television that we do even if you don't get it at the same time this is the same year that brought us garbage like young sheldon at the same time do you realize how many shows are hitting offensive milestones in 2017 for instance law and order special victims unit celebrated its 400th episode and still going in 2017 <laughs> uh, somebody's got to kill it. <laughs> well, first you got to kill the the original strain. I don't know if we have anything strong enough to kill Law and Order Vanilla. Law and Order's been uh, us off the air. SVU's the only one that's still on the air. Oh, that shows you how much TV I watch. America's <laughs> Funniest Home Videos just celebrated their six hundredth episode. In the era of YouTube, how is America's Funniest Home Videos even still a thing? 80-year-olds? Yeah, it's YouTube <laughs> for people who don't know how to use computers. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's your aunt who calls you and says, how do you Google? Yeah. Days? And that kind of, that kind of thing, it, it's not like they have a shortage of material and it's not like it's, it has to work hard to deliver the same kind of stuff, really. That that sort of television has always been and always will be pretty much the lowest common denominator when it comes to creativity. But Ooh, my balls! To, really. <laughs> the thing yeah. is, they don't need to because people just like that, you know, well, like you say, you can see people get smacked in the balls or something like that. I mean, Days of Our Lives, a soap opera, celebrated its 13,000, <laughs> it has 13,000 episodes this year. Yeah, they they crank them out like nobody's business. That because that that's five shows a week. Wow, Survivor, five hundredth episode. Cops celebrated their one thousandth thousandth episode. Thousandth episode. I can't even say that today. I I don't think that your brain and your mouth want to be part of that sentence. The Daily Show, <laughs> three thousand episodes. Rachel Ray. 2,000 episodes. How are these shows still on the air? NCIS Los Angeles, 200 episodes. The spinoff. I mean, The Walking Dead, which is arguably one of the dumbest shows on TV, 100 episodes this year. What is happening to television? Josh, how about the, the, the corpse in the room? The, the one that you still watch? Which one is that? 
Simpsons. Simpsons actually does not have a milestone this year, though. Yes, they're still on the air, but they don't have a milestone episode this year. Uh, I, I mean, how long ago would that show have been able to drink? It, well, it's in its 29th season. <laughs> yeah, I think when you get any season, uh, any series that goes into the 20s, you got to start questioning these things. But I think a lot of it's down to people aren't necessarily wanting to go find something new. People often like the expected. They like to, they like Glenn, the comfort of, of having these things. Teen Mom, mm-hmm. 100 episodes. Yeah, I think people like watching people's car crash lives. <laughs> that's probably it. But you know, and that's the thing. People aren't that interested in, in, you know, finding new stuff particularly. I guess that's part of the reason why it's so hard to get new series off the ground. I mean, with the stuff that we've been kind of talking about recently. See how many examples of those that have died. Some of them very good, some of them bloody awful. I think when it comes to a lot of these, you know, particularly things like Days of Our Lives and things like that, they're very familiar friends to people. They know, the audience knows what to expect from them. It doesn't have to challenge them. They can just sit down in front of the television. They know the characters. They know more or less where these stories are going to go and all that kind of stuff. It's It's like comfort food. Mm. Yeah, you you have the television, which is always there as long as you have a cable subscription, or uh, you there's all of the the scattered different ways that you can see things. You that your Netflix, your Hulu, your your Amazon Video, where and they're trying to also grab you with a you are familiar with this with, by either taking a show that already existed and giving it more episodes, which is part of the reason that some of these things are hitting these milestones, because uh, you you don't think that America's Funniest Home Videos has been on all of the the years from when it started to now, that these things take breaks because people lose interest. And then you have, like, on Hulu, they're doing Runaways, and I'm like, well, that's fine. I liked that comic, but fuck you, Hulu. I'm not paying you money. You started out as a free service. Even along those lines, you have Star Trek Discovery, which, okay, Young Sheldon is probably the worst new show of the year. Star Trek Discovery is the most insulting. As a Star Trek fan, this show is a major fuck you to everything Star Trek stood for. Because we needed that dark, brutal Star Trek where they say fuck willy-nilly. We needed that Star Trek that involves prisoner rape, right? Because this is, they're trying to say, this is a Star Trek for a new generation. Fuck you. Just (laughs) fuck you. When did we get to the point that everything has to be dark and gritty? I don't mind dark and gritty when it's in an appropriate place, but when... (sighs) I mean, we're going back to movies slightly, uh, but uh, when you get things like the DCEU where everybody's either a psychopath or a sociopath or all this kind of stuff that's going on, oh, you've got just dark and gritty, it's being real, and you kind of go, my God, with all the misery that's going on in the world, give me a little bit of something happy just once in a while. Well, there are certain things that just don't need to be dark and gritty. Star Trek is one of those. Deep Space Nine did a good job of that. It was very dark, very serious, but it never stopped feeling like Star Trek. Discovery literally feels like a Star Trek 
ripoff that somehow got the license. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's tragic. I've not seen it, but I mean, I've heard some people who have really started taking to it. Star Trek has an identity. And even in its darkest points in things like DS9, there was always this kind of feeling that humanity is supposed to be, to a great extent, a force for good and all that kind of stuff. It's a much more and Deep op- Space optimistic Nine got kind of thing. Dark at points yeah. too. Yeah. Into the pale moonlight. Did. Into the pale moonlight is probably the darkest moment pre-discovery in all of Star Trek, and it still felt right for Star Trek though. I think it's the difference between it being cynical and it being mean-spirited, and that's the biggest problem that I think people don't seem to recognize that when you're talking about the Batman and Superman incarnations that we've got at the moment. Uh, they, they, to me, are not dark and gritty. They're mean-spirited. And it sounds to me that uh, Star Trek Discovery is very much the same. That It's gone from being... You know, DS9 was, was, was dark. It went to very kind of, um, uh, dark places and, and with, with very difficult situations and it tested the characters and eventually the characters came through and sometimes they had to compromise themselves. Whereas dark and gritty these days seems to mean you go around and you commit as much violence in the worst way possible, which is not dark and gritty. That's cynical to me. Oh, you, you mean if the character just goes and throws an axe into somebody's head and then just looks at the camera and says, I am the hero, that that's not a deep statement? Well, I mean, it, it even goes to, like, the 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 F-bomb drop, because that was a big thing. Star Trek has never really swore. I mean, they've said shit a few times, you know, bastard and all that. They've never had a fuck in a Star Trek show or mm-hmm. movie. And it was done so blase it was a character who created a discovery and went fucking a and another character went fucking a indeed and it was just so pointless that they went look we're saying fuck we're edgy don't you get it we're edgy now star trek says fuck and then there's a character who escapes from a klingon prison camp and then it finds out that the klingons were raping him in the prison camp because Look, we're dark. We're edgy. Starfleet officers get raped now. Yeah. I mean, there's a time and a place to do that kind of stuff, and Star Trek doesn't seem to me to be the place to be doing that kind of thing. And that's not to get all prissy with what Star Trek is, because it can go to dark places, but that's that seems more like sensationalism to me than anything else. Okay, it, it, can it, I can I bring up the old rule of thumb of if you're if it is not absolutely necessary for the story for you to rape a character, don't do it. They're Boys they're they're, tr- they're trying to be edgy. The thing is, they want to go. This is the edgy Star Trek. This is this is very much influenced by the 2003 Battlestar Galactica. Even stylistically, they're they're trying to ape Battlestar Galactica, and Battlestar Galactica was very edgy. Until it, you know, flew off a cliff. But <laughs> everyone's angels. And Shut up! Saying, Only Starbuck I, is an angel. <laughs> I, I kind of looked at that and I went, I didn't take as badly to that series as Josh particularly did because I looked. Did at you it watch went, that last season, Glenn? Jesus yes, fucking Christ! Yes, I did. But I mean, to be honest with you, I kind of saw that coming. 
it was never really a big surprise to me. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll be fair. I did see it coming, but I kept telling myself, no, <laughs> they're not going to go. They, they've got to be going somewhere else. This has got to be misleading. They're, they're never going to pull Starbucks actually in eight. No. That, that sounds like 2016, Josh, hoping about the election. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? This is the first year I have ever lived in a news cycle where half of the shit that our president and Congress does wouldn't, doesn't even make the first page of the news, the front page of the news anymore because there is so much crazier shit going on. <laughs> well, you can't say it's not interesting, if nothing else. You could say it's horrifying, I guess. But <laughs> Every day, the first thing I do when I wake up, before I even get up to go pee, is I look at the news feed on my phone to see, oh, fuck, what went wrong today? <laughs> I think it's particularly illustrative that somebody actually went to the effort of making an app to turn Donald Trump's tweets into hand-drawn crayon scrawlings. Well, it's because he is a giant child man-baby. <laughs> so so are, are you saying that we live in the world of the snowman? <laughs> Which, I have not seen that one yet, but wow, I've heard that that thing is a train wreck. I, okay, some people said Transformers The Last Night makes more sense story-wise than the snowman does. At least they shot all their scenes. Ooh, burn. So, on that note, where can we find Sarah Hanley hoping that 2018 is not as bad? Uh, I, I am hoping that we can do just a little better. Can, can, can we work on that? Um, I'm, I'm working on that myself by, uh, donating my artistic prowess to people who deserve it and trying to make the world better that way. You can find me on the Twitters and on the Facebook. Yeah, someone's got to be. Uh, on 1201beyond.com and on uh you can find my uh my comic book ramblings on Forces of Peak. Indeed. So, Sequential yeah. snark. Mhm. And Glenn, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube as LampyMan101 or at CynicalCelluloid.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Let's hope 2018 is better. We all know it won't be, but we can still hope for it. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Lost in the Static is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.